the title of this, as far as I was concerned, was The Last Cowboy because he was the last holdout from the Dirt Organization. I was just going to say that, yeah. And we okay. talked a lot about that. He sure. was the only A-list driver of his generation to not run the Dirt Organization. Everyone knew if you were going to race for a living, you had to run dirt. Yep. And he didn't do it. I had asked your father numerous times, you want to see it before it goes? And he's like, no. He just didn't want to see it. And there really is a story to be told in this book. I will never put it in there. Mm -hmm. Everything else that leads up to it tells you this is the end of the career. Hello and welcome to the Dirt Track Confessions podcast with your host, Mandy Pouch Mahaney. The Dirt Track Confessions show starts in three, two, one. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Dirt Track Confessions. I'm your host, Mandy Patch Mahaney, and I am beyond excited to have one of my very first guests on here, Buffy Swanson. Hello and good evening. Oh, it's so good to be here. I am super excited. Um, there's a lot we're going to cover and a lot we're going to talk about. First and foremost, um, I don't know if I've ever told you this, actually, Buff, is that Growing up, Buffy's been around longer than me with my family. They go back. Um, luckily, I was a part of it. So um, growing up, I've seen Buffy do many, many, many things, and I'm really looking forward to her sharing all that because I always looked up to you. I always, I always admired your drive and your passion for supporting the racetrack, supporting the sport, you know, motorsports in general, and really you have accomplished so much. And I feel like, you know, we're going to, we're going to talk about the book that she just released this year, which I mean, dear and near to my heart. But, um, if you can, Buff, uh, just give everyone a little background. Cause I feel that, you know, a lot of people are getting to know who you are after, you know, writing this special book, but really, uh, a lot of people in motorsports do know you, but you're really um, a behind-the-scenes kind of person. Absolutely tried to stay behind the scenes my entire life. This is the first time I'm coming out of the shadows. Uh, I uh, started racing, uh, writing about racing in 1978, uh, started working at Area Auto Racing News, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and uh, I, I had always written, but not just for myself, mm -hmm. and I would read the, uh, the write-ups and the results in the newspapers, and I would say, that's not what happened, and it bothered me. Mm -hmm. I wanted to get it right. I felt like these guys put so much effort into it that, uh, you know, growing up on Staten Island, I had met my husband at Weissglass Stadium. He had stock cars from the time he was hanging around at five years old with the Road Kings. And, uh, you know, uh, I know what went in into it behind the scenes, you know. So uh, when I decided I wanted to get involved in the writing end of it, because actually at Aereo Auto, I was hired uh, as a layout artist, because okay. that's what I was. I was a graphic designer. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I convinced Lenny, he, I had to prove to him that I could do it. Of course. You know, so uh, Lenny Sammons, who uh, is the uh, editor and publisher of the, of the newspaper. So uh, in 78, I started, you know, taking on that, writing, and uh, by 82, I had left 
area and was a featured columnist with Speedway Scene out of New England. And from there, it was Stock Car Racing Magazine, Circle Track, Trackside, uh, you know, uh, all, all the major uh, racing trades and publications, national and, and regional. So uh, my career goes back to really 1982 is when I started being featured. Uh, I had never in my life thought I would write a book. <laughs> I never had any aspirations to write a book, unlike some of my colleagues like Bones Borsier, who has been so prolific and so wonderful in his, uh, in his coverage uh, book-wise of the New England auto racing scene in particular. But that was not something I aspired to. No. I always went by the mantra of the uh, Chicago Tribune beat writer Mike Royko, who always said, I don't want to write a novel. Mm-hmm. I like writing my column. Yep. It's short. Yep. Okay, so I just seemed like too big a mountain to climb. And why would I want to? You know, yeah. I just thought will what I'm saying make any difference mm-hmm. over what I'm doing in a feature article in, in a magazine or a column yep. in a newspaper? But uh, your grandfather, okay, about 20 years ago, close to it now, mm-hmm. uh, he, uh, he came to me, sidled up to me at the, uh, in the pits at some racetrack, and he said, you're going to write a book about me and Billy. In that order. That's Leroy for you. <laughs> Leroy got top billing. <laughs> yep. Okay. And he never gave up on it. He just kept hammering me on it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. You know, I'm not doing that. You know, yeah, okay, Roy. You know, I mean, I was fine with what I was doing. And I felt like I was giving the guys that raced on my beat the dirt modifieds, Mm -hmm. I was portraying them the way they wanted to be portrayed, the way they should be portrayed, and that would be truthfully. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I needed to go to that next level to to write a book. So Roy kept hammering away, and in 2013, I want to say, mostly just to appease him, we sat down here, at the shop, and uh, we did two hours on tape, videotape, mm-hmm. as you know. Yep. And he expounded on everything from, you know, how to, how to plant corn to, you know, property rights and paying in the ass neighbors <laughs> and, uh, you know, and all his views about racing and why Billy was good. And his relationships with everybody, Roy didn't hold back anything. Mm-hmm. He probably told me more than I ever wanted to know or had a right to know. Oh, we, after he passed, we, we learned a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Brought a lot because the thing was, is that he was so, tr- he was, he, it, it was like he felt compelled in some way to tell it, to get it down, mm-hmm. that he wanted, he wanted it to be part of, his history, his yeah. archive, you know, how he felt, you know, it just even little things like, you know, the fact that he had close to a nervous breakdown at one time in his mm-hmm. life, you know, just everything. He wanted me to know it all, yeah. you know. Uh, 
I guess because he trusted me at some point to tell his story the way he wanted it told. Not that I thought I could do it at that point, or wanted to even. So three years passed after that, and I continued to sit on that gold mine of information and did nothing with it. Didn't even transcribe that tape. And, uh, and, and then he passed in 2016, and I thought, I, you know, I should really do something with this. But what? What was I going to do with it? You know, at that point, we were, my husband and I were running a racetrack, you know, and, or, or had just finished doing that. And, uh, you know, I was semi-retired. I wasn't writing weekly anymore as I had been all my life. And I just thought, I have no idea what I'm going to do with this. And then the pandemic came and we were locked down for a year. All right. Which was fine. I, you know, I had no problem you know, drank wine and, <laughs> no, you know, watch no flow, right? you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and then you called me mm-hmm. in, uh, right after New Year's in 2021. Yep. You called and you said, would you be thinking about doing a book? And I was just like, oh, no. I don't know why, but at that point, maybe because of the lock, long lockdown, maybe because of, you know, uh, where I was in my own life at that point, I could see it for the first time. I'm a very visual person mm-hmm. because, first and foremost, I'm a graphic designer. Uh, I had to be able to see it in order to even attempt it. And at that point, I just could see it. Yeah. I saw how it had to be put together, how it had to look and feel, Mm -hmm. and what I wanted it to accomplish. I I saw how it needed to be illustrated. In my mind, I could see how the chapters needed to be laid out, what needed to be covered, what was important, and what wasn't important. And I don't know why that came to me, but it just did. Um, Alan Kreitzer, when we were doing a book signing uh, this past summer at Williams Grove, asked me, when you started writing the book, did it change? Did the chapters change? Did the order of events or the uh, importance of certain aspects of it alter as you were writing it? And the answer was no. Mm-hmm. I knew what it needed to be from the beginning, and it never veered off that. It never changed. Sure, there was maybe a little story as a sidebar that someone told me, and I thought, ooh, that's cool. We're going to put that in because that's that's very illustrative. But in the big scheme of things, it never altered. I had the order of the chapters before I even started writing. I knew what it was going to be. I knew what it had to be, you know. Yeah. And um, I did talk to who I considered respected experts in the field, Bonesy, of course, who had done this, who preceded me, who was my uh, counterpart at Speedway Scene back when we both really first started. And uh, Dave Argabright, Lou Boyd, Lenny Sammons. And I, I listened to them and 
well, in a lot of ways, I discarded everything they said. Mm -hmm. If I was going to do this, I was going to do it my way. I could, all the books, or I would say the majority of the books that I've read about race car drivers have been as told to. Yeah, okay. Some ghost writer or some famous journalist who's going to run tape with one guy and just, you know, buff it up and, you know, smooth out the sequence of events and then call it an autobiography. I didn't understand how you can put someone's life into perspective Explain to people where he stands in the big scheme of things and what his stature is in the industry if he's the only one doing the talking. It's like you need the credibility. So much credibility, I I guess. Yeah, but it's not even that. It's that you needed these other voices to to either reinforce or refute Mm, who he is. Mm -hmm. Okay? And if... If you've just got one guy, say Doug Wolfgang, doing the talking, that's all you're getting is Doug Wolfgang's view. One side of the story. Of what happened or why it happened. And the other big piece of it was that I didn't, I always had this in my mind. If I was going to do this, I didn't want to tell the reader what Billy did. I wanted to tell them who he is. Mm -hmm. Which is, as Bonesy told me, well, that's a lot harder. <laughs> yeah, of course it's yeah. a lot harder. But to me, it was the only way that you could do anything that would be completely worthy of the person. Now, when I called you back in 2021, January, mm-hmm. um, I had no idea. I don't think any of us, I don't, my dad didn't even know when he was planning on, we, we say, quote unquote, not retiring, but retiring. Yeah, yeah. Billy Badge will never say the R word. Yes. Um, but of all people, I felt for you, you have been on the inside, like with my family. You know, you, you've you been to parties, you've been to dinners, you know, you know Billy at the track and you know Billy at home. So I felt like you were going to bring the Buffy to the book. You're going to bring you and everything that your ability is. But I felt you had a good sense you know, I don't feel like many other writers, maybe they could do it, but I feel you had um, the best of both worlds knowing really who he was and is. You said that to me when the book first came out. You said it had to be you. Yep. There's no nobody else. You were always there. Mm-hmm. There's nobody else. And it does go back to that. It really does. I mean, I was the beat writer. I was there for all of those races. I was there in the diner. I was there at the racetrack before, after the races, at the banquets. For all the little small moments, there are so many things in the book that are minor details, but that add so much color and make you feel like you're in the room. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, sitting in the diner in that first, very first chapter when we're talking about awareness. Okay. Uh, on your brother's part, as well as your father's part, okay? But that, to me, is who... These are things that I I always felt, that's who he is. Mm-hmm. That's who he is. 
you know what I mean? Uh, the anger, the attitude. I knew there had to be a chapter about <laughs> that. You know, Roy brought up a lot about how that cheating albatross followed him from the very first year he started racing, and I knew that had to get brought up. We weren't going to sweep anything under the rug here, but there were even... I covered all of this. There were a lot of chapters in the book that were columns yeah. that I wrote back in... The, the Autumn in New York chapter is a column that I wrote back in 1986 for Speedway Scene, and I just fleshed it out and add to it. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was really the, the, the... So there was a lot of this written already. Yeah. It wasn't... Like I started from scratch, I had 40 years or close to it of stories, articles, feature, uh, you know, subject matter that, that Billy was described in. But there were just little things. You needed to be there. Who the hell would know that Kenny Bren showed up at a driver's meeting at Flemington in 1987 wearing a Billy Pouch t-shirt? Okay, yeah. you had to be standing there. Mm-hmm. And I remember writing about it in my column. It was an offhanded remark, but it I just thought it was kind of yeah. telling on Kenny's part that he showed up with that T-shirt. Mm-hmm. Little things like that, you can't, you had to be there. And yep. if you weren't there, you, you can't bring that kind of color and depth to the whole thing. Uh, the little moment... Where uh, your father was uh, in the dirt, in the I'm never running dirt chapter, uh, mm-hmm. was sitting up on top of the trailer, you know, attitude central, mm-hmm. drag on a cigarette, and Andy Fusco, who is the dirt VP at the time, called up to him, you know, we really wish you would run our show up at Canning. And Billy said, People in hell wish for ice water, and they ain't getting that either. Well, who the hell would know that? Yeah. It wasn't your father that told me that story. It was Andy. hmm Later on at Syracuse, he told me what a pain in the ass pouch is <laughs> when I asked him if he would run my show. But again, it, it's all these little moments that, that coalesce, that add the color and the vibrancy to the story where it's just not facts. These are things that happened and you want people to feel like they're in the room. Absolutely. In the room. Yeah. Now, man, there's so many questions brewing off of everything Uh, you just said. There's a lot. Yeah. Like, (laughs) I guess we'll start with, I mean, obviously if anyone hasn't picked up, like Buffy wrote a damn book. Okay. Kudos. That's amazing. Thank you, Roy. Yeah. Huge milestone for you, especially in your career. But, um, like where, where do you feel like the last cowboy, you know? Well, she okay. brought, she brought notes here. So yeah, what do, what I, do we I, have? I brought some research materials back in 19. Now I have to look at the date on this. It's back in January of 1993. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, your father came and I can show you mm-hmm. the, your father and mother and your brother and you came to my house uh, to run tape for this feature article that appeared in Trackside magazine. Okay. You were a baby in a blanket. Oh, yeah. You had I've, just been born. 
okay, you're a month old. And we sat down and did this feature story for Trackside. Okay, it was a Q&A. I set it up as a Q&A, but I did a whole intro on it. And by that time, we knew each other really well. Mm-hmm. And your father didn't mince words. Ah, there we go. But the title of this, I kept coming back to that. The title of this, as far as I was concerned, was The Last Cowboy because he was the last holdout from the Dirt Organization. I was just going to say that, yeah. And we talked a lot about that in this article. Yeah. Okay. I kept coming back to that when I was thinking about what I was going to call the book, and it it just seemed like that was it. That was the natural fit, Mm -hmm. the natural fit. He was the only A-list driver of his generation to not run the Dirt Organization. Yep. And at a time when... Everyone knew if you were going to race for a living, you had to run dirt. And he didn't do it. He was the only one. Mm -hmm. Even Kenny Brightbill, who was off running NDRA late models and, you know, had other avenues. He was an off and on steady, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, In a lot of ways, this story in Trackside, and I'll talk about that picture in a minute, that's the bones of the book. Okay. All right. Never uh, guessed that. There's a lot of that tape that we ran that day, that interview that is in this book only fleshed out further. And you kept that all the way since then. Well, I never I don't get rid of anything. That's why you were the woman to do this. Any anything <laughs> I, I everything I ever wrote I have. Yeah. Impressive. Cataloged. Mm-hmm. But the thing is is that the bones of the book is this, his refusal to run dirt, especially the the last drummer, you know, his own drummer, yeah. uh, chapter about refusal to run dirt, and the picking up the pieces, what happened after Flemington paved mm-hmm. and Pete Chesson went bust. Those two chapters pretty much came right out of this interview. Okay. Makes sense. So then... You go back to, you just need to flesh it out. So you talk to more people and more people. And that was the impetus for everything. In the course of writing the book, I I ran over 50 hours of tape with 40 different, 40 different car owners, crew members, rival drivers, promoters, PR men, and the entire family, mm-hmm. you know. And that that 50 hours on tape doesn't include Roy's two hours. Yeah. Or all the time I spent on the phone with your father. Or at the track. Or all at the stuff, track. Yeah. Or all the old stuff that I did. Mm-hmm. Okay, all the old tapes, all the old interviews. So there is way more than just a year of putting this book together. This was a lifetime, literally a lifetime. Well, yeah, but you didn't know it was going to be this. Yes. Then, then I'm just writing a column. I'm writing about what's happening. I'm writing about, you know, where he went and what he did and why it mattered. Mm-hmm. You know, but again, it came back to why it mattered. The voices had to be really clear. So, in other words, this was never going to be first person. It was never going to be Billy just talking. It couldn't be. If you're going to tell 
anybody who he is. Yeah. He can't tell you who he is. And Other people have to tell you that. I feel a lot of people that have read the book or are going to read the book now don't realize that no one saw the book before it was published. Like, we didn't get any say. We didn't get to read it prior. And I know my dad was, mm. I was like, come on, have a little faith in Buffy. I, I mean, I'm a little weary, but. <laughs> I had, oh, over the course, it took me 14 months of writing. Mm-hmm. Okay, seriously writing and researching uh, to get this done. I started in January of 2021. We finished in March of 2022. Um, In that time, I had asked your father numerous times, you want to see it before it goes? And he's like, no. Mm -hmm. He just didn't want to see it. That's dead. Yep. You know, so I, that was on one hand, it was good because he had enough faith in me, I felt, and your mother said so too, that I was going to do right, yep. the right thing. Absolutely. That I was going to portray him in a, not a favorable light, but again, a truthful light. True light. Okay. So even though I was talking to people that he may be on the outs with, such as, say, Ray Carroll, who had a very rocky relationship with, or even John Sine, yep. who him and... John didn't talk for quite a while, you know, or, or rival drivers, you know. I didn't know what they were going to say before I asked the questions, and we got them on the phone, and we ran tape with them. But uh, these are the voices that resonate throughout the book. And, and I wanted it to feel, it was important to me to feel like the reader was part of it. In other words, the reader is just sitting on a bar stool listening to all these guys tell all their stories in their own true voices, unfiltered for the most part. Yeah, there's some good slang in there. I was, you kept it all. You know, I mean, it had to sound like Roy. It had to sound like, and I think you can hear even Kevin Befolco's voice. Oh my God, yes. You can hear his voice. You can hear your voice. Mm. Okay, so a lot of what I, anytime I ever wrote anything, I always read it out loud to my husband mm-hmm. before it went. Because if it didn't flow as conversation, I would go back and fix it. Yep. It had to sound like you were in the room, like you were part of it. You're painting the picture perfectly. Yeah. So that's where that all came from. As far as... Uh, well, the pictures we'll get into in a minute. That turned out to be more problematic than I ever could have imagined. Uh, but uh, the thing was is that I knew what it needed to be, and I wanted it to have some literary quality, okay? Um, once I decided to, re- to do the book, and I started writing seriously, uh, for that whole year, I did not read any racing books, okay. racing articles, except for news in the mm-hmm. newspapers, weekly news. Mm-hmm. I did not, I divorced myself from all that. I just stepped out of it. I had my vision of what I wanted to do here, and I didn't want to be distracted by what anybody else had done in the past. Um, I right. went out of my way to not read that kind of stuff. And I read The New Yorker mm-hmm. every week. 
Okay. Okay. That's brilliant, actually. And made notes to myself about how turns of phrases and how Mm -hmm. to put something together in a way that it would elevate the material to some literary level. Every one of the chapters in the book stands on its own. Mm -hmm. They don't even flow sequentially in a lot of ways. They tell a larger truth. They tell, they put him in perspective in a different way. When you get to the end of each chapter, there's some moral point that's being made there about Billy's character, who, how to define him, how other people defined him, how he defined himself, okay? What motivated him? There are, it all goes back to that. So every single chapter stands on its own. It's its own little allegory mm-hmm. about his life. It really is. So uh, that's, that's what I wanted to accomplish. And uh, someone asked me not that long ago, uh, did it turn out the way you wanted it to? It's exactly what I wanted. Oh, good. It's exactly how I envisioned it. And it goes back to the fact that I'm a graphic designer, mm-hmm. Okay which put me in a unique position because I'm not just writing words and then shipping them off to, uh, you know, a design, a book designer that's going to put the words on the page and put the pictures with the words. I designed it too, mm-hmm. and I laid it out, and I'm an anal lunatic, so nobody else had anything to do with it. Uh, my husband was the copy editor. You know, he would proofread, all that kind of thing. But other than that, no one saw it. Yeah. No one's, as you know, no one saw yeah. it until it was published. I knew what I, what I wanted it to look like. And that had to go back to the pictures too. I was just going to say that. Yeah, the pictures. Okay. The pictures and the story, because like as Bones, my good friend Bones said to me, you're doing it, you're getting ahead of yourself. Mm-hmm. He said, don't worry about the pictures till after you have the words written. No, it was all part and parcel of the same thing. They had to line up, right? Not only did they have to line up, but they had to uh, enhance each other, okay? So in other words, there are some places where I wrote around a picture, mm-hmm. all right? Or the the pictures that were chosen were specific to that chapter or would would bring uh, the to life that chapter, so that's what it came back down to. Um, again, I didn't pattern this after anything that I had seen in auto racing. I patterned it after this. The whole book, the feel of it, the design elements of it were based on this Frank Sinatra coffee table volume. Really? All black and white. Big photos. Yeah. If you look inside, you'll oh see. Oh my God! Yeah, very similar. Very the layout similar. Okay. With now, of course, I can't find it. Pull quotes, big photos. Yeah, I see what you're saying. It just it brings a whole classy theme to Sidebars. it. Sidebars. Really. Yes. Okay. So the bottom line here is is that. That's what I patterned it after. Mm -hmm. I wanted it to be like a a black and white artistic representation of your dad that told bigger truths 
and was really stark in its reality of that, you know. So many books that you pick up, you know, all the pictures are just stuffed in the middle of the book. Yeah. Well, that's because it's cheaper to do it that way. To publish it is a lot cheaper to put all the pictures in the middle than to spread them out throughout the book. Okay. So they do it that way, but it does not enhance the story. Mm-hmm. You know, you're reading the story. Well, where's where's the where's the picture? Where's yeah. the image? Where's the illustration that would go back to, you know, what you're talking about? I just didn't understand how that helped anything. Yeah, there's a lot of pictures in there I personally had not seen before, and I feel like it they maybe not have come to light until this book. But like you said, that it they match so perfectly. And me personally, I mean, I know I'm. I would assume my brother. Obviously, he was around a little bit, a little bit longer than me. But I obviously know my father's career, but you just painted it so perfectly. I just could not put the book down because it's like, I know my dad. I've lived with him long enough. I know, <laughs> I know my dad. When everyone's like, oh, it must be so cool. I'm like, to live with Billy Patch, you sure about that? <laughs> but just seeing all the, the courses he had to take, like to me, by the time I was able to collect everything and like understand what was going on, I would bring my friends to the races and I'd be like, watch, my dad's going to win tonight. Like, it was almost like a guarantee when we'd be at New Egypt Saturday nights or East Windsor. I'd be like, watch, he's going to win. We're going to go to Victory Lane. Like, I was just used to it. Uh But the 80s and the 90s, um, you had mentioned, you know, the falling out and him just bringing himself back up again. And, like, reading it in the book just brought a whole new light and understanding of everything my father has been through to get to where he is. Not many people, everyone, everyone always sees like the person's current chapter instead of chapter three, I guess you'll say. Right. Uh, Even people who followed your father his whole life and, and were there. Mm -hmm. Okay. We'll say the playing hurt chapter. Yeah. I never I never understood how often he was hurt, how much he got hurt. Okay. Wow. Uh, What he went through to get back after he got hurt. I I don't think a lot of people understood that. And in a lot of cases, uh, in writing the book, it's about connecting the dots. All right. And for me, some of that was a little interesting. You know, like you would get these eureka moments where we just say, wait, wait a minute. You know, wait a minute, that has to do with this, and this has to do with that. Christine is a perfect example of that. I mean, it's like you knew all the stuff, but wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, that that special car, the de Blasio 5, you know, that they called Christine. Well, even Christine is the only thing that wound up to being a chapter that I didn't think was going to be a chapter because I didn't think there was enough there. Okay, I thought always Christine was going to be a sidebar. And then when I started getting into it, I started realizing, wait a minute, wait a minute. The car that they cut the firewall out of so he could race Mm -hmm. after he broke his knee at at Penn National in, in DA's car... That was Christine. Yeah. Okay. Wait a minute. The car that he went and dominated Florida in with the big body, that was also Christine. The car that he ran to a 100-lap victory where he finished the, the, the race 
as the only one on the lead lap Wild. at Flemington was Christine. Oh, she was a good So friend. it was just like you kept, but but it was like you had to piece that together because it, there was no roadmap for it. No. You had to go back to the stories, go back to the research, and you said, wait a minute. That was this. That had to do with this, you know? Mm-hmm. And that that happened quite a bit in the book where you would piece together things that you didn't think were particularly related and they created a better narrative because you could connect them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You could connect them. A lot of this too, I have to give credit to Fred Voorhees uh, at uh, ARA. Uh, he took it upon himself to document religiously yes. your father's entire win record from the first race to the last race. Who would have thought back then he'd be documenting so much? Right. And we even found some discrepancies in there, like that race was on a Wednesday, it wasn't on a Thursday. These kind of minor things. The framework was all there. There were two championships that your father had that we didn't know about in Fred's records that we unearthed, yeah. Okay, look at you. Yeah. That's impressive. So, but it's like you just had to keep going back to the to the books, going mm-hmm. back to the books, going back to all this research materials and this, uh, you know, and these backstories. And I can't tell you how many times I would impose upon Fred or Doug Zupan or mm-hmm. Jeff Allen or somebody like that to say, can you send me the original article? Yeah. You know. Now, um, going off of that is, how'd you do all that fact checking? Because I know you were pretty stringent on that. That was terrifying and tedious. Mm-hmm. Uh, the biggest fear I have and had was that you'd get something wrong. Yep. And then someone would call you on it. Somebody who's got like 500 program books in their basement mm-hmm. is going to say, that's not the car that he was in that day or, you know, whatever. So you had to go to the mat and and just try to and in a lot of cases even the newspaper story was wrong i spent a half a day trying to figure out where your father was the night before a victoria 200 win was he because there was a discrepancy in the newspaper articles he was either at hagerstown in a sprint car or he was at williams grove it turns out he was at williams grove but that's I had to get to the bottom of that. That's impressive. Okay. Yeah. So you spend half a day doing that because you don't want it to be wrong, even though it was reported in the newspapers as he came from Maryland. Yeah. Did not come from Maryland, you know? Okay. But And then you get back into people's recollections. Mm. As time okay. goes, that's kind of tough. It's very tough, even for your father. Okay. Uh, I We had such a back and forth early on in the book over when Joey Scamadella had it out with Paul Cool okay at the Flemington Speedway banquet and your father insisted it was 1979 when he won his first championship mm-hmm. it was not it was 1983 that's a big difference oh, wow. yeah. okay it made sense in your father's recollection, mm-hmm. because in 1980, Joey, when he was running for Joe, Joey refused to let him run Flemington because he had was on, him and Paul Cool were fighting. 
Um, so that made sense. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it would have made perfect sense. If I had written it that way, it would have sounded right. Yep. But it was wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we had to pull all the old newspapers to find out that it was at 1983. And the, the fight that they were having then, the, the disagreement that Paul and Joe were having then centered on East Windsor. Joe taking over East Windsor. Okay. Not Flemington. on Flemington. Gotcha. Okay, so, and your father hunkered down on that. I had to send him a scan of the newspaper article to prove to him that mm-hmm. it, it was wrong. It was 1983. Mm-hmm. There were so many things like that that, uh, you know, you're trying to fact check. And, you know, in the big scheme of things, somebody may say, well, did it really matter? You know, sometimes no, but in the big scheme of things, but I wanted it to be right. Yeah. Okay. Which leads us back to a story that Leon Lydell told me. Leon Lydell was just such a great interview. What a great voice Um, that added to the story, you know, from a very, very, you know, this is how it happened and this is the way it went down kind of way. He told me a story about how, when, uh, you know, they blew up the motor at Flemington in the, uh, in the L car, and he called up Don Arnold and told him, you know, to bring the car here, the small block. It was a 318 small block that he had run Windsor and Penn National with, and they needed the car. They blew up the motor, and he brought the car there, and according to Leon, he went out in that small block. He started last and he blew them all away. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's not what happened. No. Now, I could have gone on Leo say, Leon say so, mm-hmm. but you can't. I found very early on you can't believe people's recollections mm-hmm. because they have a tendency to mutate over time. In Leon's case, he was taking two days of what happened and turning it into one. What actually happened was that they, your father got up to third in the small block and broke a crank. Then Don Arnold went home, put another motor in the car, brought it back the next day for a mod car show at Flemington, and then they blew the field away. Okay. But it didn't happen in one day, and it was not with the small block. Now, in my mind, my big question to myself was, okay, Don Arnold is not here anymore. He's Mm -hmm. passed. What engine was in that car? Did they put a big block in? Did Don Arnold even have a big block? Mm -hmm. I didn't know. So I started, I did a Google search and cracked tracked down Don Arnold's son, Ted, in Pennsylvania. I mean, oh. just cold calling Arnold's. That's how terrible it yeah. got for me. I of mean, course. I was just like a lunatic yeah. with it. And he was so flattered that his father, and he remembered, it was a big block. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a file big block that they put in the car that his father had, and he remembered this. Uh, and you feel satisfied then because at least you have the answer. But if I had gone with Leon's story, that would have been a great story. Yeah. But it's not the way it happened. Correct. Yep. You know. Mm-hmm. So you have you it, it there was this this fear 
always mm-hmm. did I get it right. Yeah. It's tedious work, but you have to do you it. You have to, absolutely. Because that you don't want somebody coming back and say because that reflects on the credibility of the book. Correct. It didn't happen that way. Mm-hmm. You know. Glenn Heineman told me a great story. And when we ran tape and we did that, uh Heineman ran his uh his tape with me on the phone. He tells me this great story about how they almost swept Syracuse, you know, and uh, sat on the pole with the big block, won the small block race, you know, uh, you know, and and got up to the end, and 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 it was the very end of the race, and you know, and he's telling Billy, you know, don't pass Danny Johnson because he hasn't pitted, made his last pit stop yet, and and you you know you're in good position here, and then your father. I either didn't hear or didn't Didn't listen. listen. And he passed Annie and they crashed into each other and took each other out. Okay. And when he's telling me this, I'm thinking, this is a great story. Mm -hmm. You know, because Glenn added all the color to it, how he threw the headset off the the thing and stomped down and him and Billy are screaming at each other afterwards. And, you know, all the color, all Mm -hmm. the drama of it was, okay didn't happen like that it wasn't even the same year oh no he won the small block race in 87 this happened in 88 it was not the end of the race you went back to the newspapers to find out that it was only lap 56 of 188 laps nobody had made their final pit stop yet so it it didn't ring true and I went back to Glenn and I just said Glenn that was a wonderful story Mm -hmm. but I can't use any of it yeah I can't use any of it I mean, even in Roy's case, there were some instances like that where he got days and and tracks mixed up, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to say it happened here or this happened right after that, or you had to go back to the to the books. You had to go look it up. You had to go see if you could find out if it held water, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And um, are there any inaccuracies in the book? There are a couple, but not anything that matters yeah so you brought some more stuff here with us um figure before we wrap up you want to share we're going to talk some about goodies. pictures i think okay this is a great picture that mike out of scavenge who i really respect uh shot for the cover of trackside and then there were pictures in here mm-hmm. of mike's i couldn't get any of it really none of it yeah Everything of Mike's is tied up in litigation with Stock Car Racing Magazine. Anything that was in Stock Car, I had no access to. Anything that was in Trackside, I had no access to. So there were these wonderful photos, Mm -hmm. you know. And uh, here's a prime example. Mike shot the Victoria 200 feature story with me Mm -hmm. uh, for Stock Car. Wonderful photos. Yeah. Couldn't use any of them. Lost time. He doesn't have the negatives. He gave them to Sakhar. It's tied up in litigation. I have no idea what's going on. These are great pictures. Mm -hmm. I mean, I really wanted this picture of your father and Richard. Yeah. You know, you couldn't get any of it. In the case of Ace Lane, who who followed your father his entire career, really, 
uh, you know, he had some hard times where he lost hard drives. Mm -hmm. He had negatives destroyed. I got almost nothing from Ace. I was fortunate that Lonnie Sammons opened up his archives to me and let me go through all of Area Auto Racing News' archives to find what I wanted. And I figured I was going to go there and it would be everything and more. Yeah. Okay. There were so many things that were just missing. Missing. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm like, one of the biggest races in your father's career was the race of champions at Flemington. And I figured this, there's got to be a million pictures of this. Yep. Lenny had nothing. Really? Yeah. He had like that one shot of him holding the flag up on top of the car Mm -hmm. from Art Rupert. And that was it. I mean, that race ran against Eastern States. A lot of the area auto photographers that I would normally depend on were not there. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now what do I do? And that was such a big deal for your father. I needed photos. I am telling you, this sounds weird, but Mario Fury, who owned the car, Mm -hmm. that that Billy drove to victory that day and has since passed. I mean, he had his hand on this project because I just kept trying to Google search pictures from that race. And I came up with some album that Mario had put together afterwards. I found it online. Wow. That's where those pictures came from in that chapter. So Mario in his way, thank you, Mario, <laughs> yeah. made sure that I had those pictures. That's amazing. You know what I mean? Uh, then there were pictures in the book that no one had ever seen, as you pointed yeah. out. Yeah. A big one is the car, the D.A. Hansen car that Billy got hurt in. Oh, those pictures? This yeah. picture mm-hmm. right here. Yep. Never seen it. Your father never saw it. Wow. DA never saw it. No one ever saw it. You found it. Because, and Lenny never published it, because your father got hurt pretty badly in that accident. So that was a Sunday. They didn't publish that photo because they didn't know how badly he was hurt. Yes, that makes sense. So it never saw the light of day. Mm -hmm. And in fact, when I talked to photographer Mike Feltenberger about it, he said, I wasn't going to take that picture. Yeah, you don't know. The track asked me to in case they didn't know what was going to happen. They wanted some, I don't know, proof or, you know, illustration of how badly the car was damaged or whatever. It is a scary thing. Your father looked at that picture and he was like, holy crap, you know? I can't believe I survived that. I tell him that all the time. All the stories and stuff in that book. I don't know how he made it out. I don't know how I'm here. (laughs) He was able to still make children's blessed. It was pretty amazing, really. You know, Mm -hmm. so that's the bottom line. The bottom line is, is that did I get all the pictures I wanted? Yeah. No. No, Of course. Okay. There were people that you couldn't find a picture of. I could not find a picture of Davey Hoffman working on that car if my life depended on it. I exhausted every avenue to find the picture of your father's first flip at Flemington. Mm -hmm. No one had it, you know. And in the case of stock car racing, we go back to that again because there was a a picture in uh, 
in stock card that I really wanted for the Hurt chapter. Mm-hmm. And it's Bruce Ellis interviewing your father with your mother holding your father's hand on ice. On ice. Oh, okay. Yeah. After he won Williams Grove. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've heard about that. Well, it's in the book. Right. Steve <laughs> Krumbacher took that picture. Mm-hmm. He is since MIA, doesn't do racing, got rid of all his stuff. I had no access to it. Yep. And again, stock car stuff was not, I was not privy to any of that Jeez. stuff. So there are pictures that people see out there. They say, oh, well, I've seen that picture. It's in this magazine yeah. or whatever. But I needed the originals. Mm-hmm. And if you can't get them, you can't get them. Yeah. You know? That's amazing. So there's a, there was a lot of that in, in, in it. Anything that was in the magazines, I, I, I couldn't get. Mm-hmm. So that was disappointing. But on the other hand, I, it's just, it's, it's all about the fact that you had to let these people have voices be heard. Mm-hmm. And they had to give you their take on it. Yeah. Because that colored it. Yeah. It really did. Um, and you try to put everything into a bigger arena the arena of life where does he stand in the big scheme of things mm-hmm. you know yeah good or bad um his very last win in a modified is not in the book it happened when it was on press mm-hmm. and this is we're on third printing here now uh That's amazing yeah which is really kind of exciting uh and I thought in subsequent volumes, should it be in there? No. I will never put it in there. Mm-hmm. It needed to be left open. Yep. Yeah. That's it needed to be left with that one race hanging mm-hmm. that you don't hear about in the book. But everything else that leads up to it tells you this is the end of the career. That lion and winter line at the end. Mm-hmm. That's who he is. Yeah. So I guess at the end of the day, Buffy, um, thank you for sitting down and and taking us through this. I mean, I feel like we could, of course, talk a lot longer then, but... There's so much there. He has a compelling story. Mm -hmm. He really has a a story that is, uh, he's very driven, and I think that gets brought home by a lot of people, Yeah, you know? You know, it's just... You need to know who he is. Your mother needed her own little platform. Mm-hmm. And you, yep. and Leroy, and Anna Mae, I mean, Timmy, even Bashi. It was important to me that the people that were his people, mm-hmm. that he surrounded himself, that knew who he really was, got to tell you what their perspective was. Yes. And how being Billy Pouch's daughter son-in-law, you know, brother, how that fit into the big scheme of things. Yeah, and I feel this book in particularly, it it's covers so much, but, I mean, every morning, my husband and I, Mike, we would sit down, we'd like, okay, I'd read a chapter, here you go, honey, you read, like, why don't we get our own books, which we ended up having our own books at the end, but um, I feel from my perspective, to a fan, to a driver, Karn, or anyone, just that enjoys racing just motorsports in general can really 
not just learn about my dad, but learn the tribulations and, and the obstacles just in life in general and just getting back up again and just keep pushing forward. I mean, there really is a story to be told in this book, not just of every chapter has its own little story. Yeah. It tells its own little tale and it really, they all stand on their own. They yeah. don't need each other, you know, uh, to, uh, to create a, a complete narrative. Mm-hmm. They all have their own little summation yeah. or definition of who he is and why he is mm-hmm. the way he is. Yes. And you did such a freaking great job, Buffy. Thank you. I love you. I love you too. <laughs> so um, if you, just to wrap up, let everyone know where they can get the book at. Oh, the book is available online, billypouchbook.com. That's pretty simple to remember, guys. Right. And, uh, you know, for the holiday season, yes. if you're going to buy gifts for friends, it's a flat $6 shipping. Awesome. For as many books as you want mm-hmm. to buy. So yes. it'll be a flat $6 to ship them out. You know, just give yourself some time because they're going to media mail. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, it makes a perfect Christmas gift oh my God, for yes. anybody who really wants to know the inner workings of what makes a successful race car driver. Couldn't agree with you more, Buffy. Thank you so much for joining us. I am super excited for you guys to get your hands on this if you have not yet. Uh, If you have, definitely comment below and let us know, you know, what was it that spoke to you in this book? You know, were you there for some of these stories? Obviously, I was, but I learned a lot about my dad and really just wanted to shine this and bring this to light to you guys. So, Buffy, thank you again and um, appreciate having you on and taking the time to do this with us. So, everyone, make sure head over, get the book, and uh, maybe we'll have Buffy on again, share some more stuff. Thanks a lot for the opportunity. Thank you.